Okay, so let's get going. We have two more classes this semester to uh, to, to take us in. So this one is uh, this is one I'm sure you're going to enjoy. Our, our speaker today was actually one of the first people I met when I joined Sirius uh, about three years ago. Uh, Jim Lerms is a is a PhD candidate in the interdisciplinary program, and I think he was one of the first people to welcome me when I came to Purdue University. So I've known Jim quite a while, and and always enjoyed uh, his company. So this will be, a, uh, I think, a good good talk. He's, uh, as mentioned, he's an interdisciplinary information security PhD candidate and working with the Homeland Security Institute here at Purdue and the Computer Information Technology Program. Um, he's got over 30 years of experience as an engineer, a senior manager. He's been, in the mil he's been a military officer in voice and data communications, industrial automation, business operations, and strategy. So a pretty broad background that brought him here to, uh, to seek his PhD in cybersecurity. So with that, I'll introduce you to Jim Larums. Hi. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I retired and now I'm kind of doing things I want to do for, for decades. So um, the presentation I'm going to give you is one I just gave this morning to my dissertation defense committee. So it's based on my dissertation that I completed just yesterday. All right, so basically we're going to talk about the why, the how, what we learned, and then discussion recommendations regarding the measuring of cybersecurity in the state of Indiana. So the why. Um, the U.S. is the highest sufferer of uh, targeted attacks internationally. I think there was like 303 attacks, big attacks that we suffered from 2015 to 16. Uh, and then the second highest was India with about 166. In terms of the average cost of data breaches based on Ponymon, um, this is when data is lost. The average cost for is typically around 7.3 million in 2017. That was up from about 5.9 the year before. Bottom line is breaches are becoming more expensive. Also, they're increasing. Now, part of these cyber attacks that are taking place occur on critical infrastructure and critical infrastructure in the United States are the major sectors, finance, transportation, nuclear, water, wastewater, healthcare, energy, that we all depend on for our safety, our health, for e our economic well-being, and for pursuing uh, happiness as we have in our Constitution. A damage to one of them could actually catastrophically roll over to the other. So these are very important to kind of make sure operate well in a cyber environment. Unfortunately, they're faced with more attacks. Um, one of the reasons why is because they use controls in a lot of the critical infrastructure. That's the part that takes the electrons and actually cause physical movement to occur. Maybe treating water, the wastewater plant, affecting the chemicals that goes into mix. Maybe treating, maybe affecting how electricity is distributed. And as you can see from Symantec in its 2018 report, the attacks on controls has increased 29%. The attacks on Internet of Things, which are also used for some of these controls, has gone up 600%. And Kapertsky Lab kind of echoes the same thing for the first half of 2018. They've seen a 42% increase, 41% increase in, of attacks. And that's, they're counting industrial control system computers. So why does this happen? Well. When my father's generation designed programmable controllers, remote terminal units, and what have you, they were basically isolated systems. Now, they might have been connected in some supervisory control and data acquisition systems, for example, like electrical distribution, uh, oil and pipeline distribution, 
via telephone or radio waves, maybe even satellite, but now they're hooked up over the internet and now they become susceptible to the same attacks that the enterprise has happened. Also, they've been attached to the enterprise at different organizations. You know, utilities are squeezed to make more money for their stockholders, executive compensation, and so one way they can do that is by integrating it. But what they've done now is they've exposed controls that were never designed with cybersecurity and with a 20-year life cycle, planned anyhow, to be susceptible to cyber attacks. So this is, a, this is a, a real problem with critical infrastructure because controls plays a part in a lot of critical infrastructure areas. In addition, if you look at Verizon's report for last year and you look at the different ways they divvy up sectors in the report, the public administration side, in other words, local, federal, and state governments had the greatest number of cyber incidences across the 21 sectors they covered and had the second most number of cyber breaches. The state governors in 2017 recognized this problem and they realized that if you want to encourage your citizens to be, if you want to enable our citizens to be safe, encourage business to come to your state, you don't want to be known with a state that has flaky cybersecurity. I don't know if any of you tracked the news, but there was a major city in the South that got attacked by ransomware. They refused to pay the ransom and basically all their public services went off the net for a few days, if not longer, until they were able to restore everything. So the governors have realized, hey, we've got to do something about this. And they realize it's a team sport. You can't just fix the government, you know, because a lot of the expertise and technology for detecting cyber attacks is on, the, on, is on the, the private sector side. But guess what? The private sector side doesn't have the right, cannot prosecute uh, and, and pursue criminals that the government can do. It's a team sport. Of course, there's business-to-business -business connections. We all do different things, you know, in terms of getting licenses, um, you know, paying taxes over the internet. So all of us are interconnected, and basically, all the governors, to include Indiana, recognize that as well. Now, when Vice President Pence was governor of Indiana, he started what's called the Indiana Executive Cybersecurity Council, or Council on Cybersecurity. His successor. Governor Holcomb, who's in office now, extended that program. And basically, it's executives from state government, it's representatives from the federal government, from FBI, Department of Homeland Security. There's even uh, the chief information officer and chief information security officer from both Purdue and IU are part of this council, as well as captains of industry in the state of Indiana. And the whole idea is to bring all this expertise together and solve problems collectively, because it can't be done alone. None of us can do it individually. In January of this year, they launched several initiatives addressing things like insurance for cybersecurity, looking at some of the laws that needed to be passed. And one of the things they said we need to do is a cybersecurity scorecard. Now, from that project, Purdue was invited to help develop that scorecard. And we developed two research questions. One is, is it possible to develop a cybersecurity scorecard that you can provide uh, actionable information to not only the individuals who take the scorecard, but also government and industry if they see systemic issues that go beyond what a specific organization can do for themselves? I mean, just the fact that you know there's a problem and you have the energy and the money doesn't mean you still can solve it, okay? So sometimes you need government help to do it. Um, and then also the second research question is, 
can we design a scorecard that can get the nuances? So for example, the problems that a water waste water utility might have for cybersecurity may not be the same ones that a hospital has or Purdue University has. Different needs, okay? So that was the research questions that came out of it. Now, as we worked on this scorecard with the state, we were fortunate to work with Shatrice Mosley, who is the Indiana Director of Cybersecurity Programs, and she gave us several guidances that she wanted us to, to do. One is she wanted us to be able to identify cybersecurity vulnerabilities, whether it's a small company, a medium or large, and also be able to look at cybersecurity for all these different sectors, of which the state of Indiana tracks 10. They're very similar to what the federal government has with a couple of nuances, okay? So we have finance, we have healthcare, we have energy, we have water, wastewater. We have defense industries, we have um, elections, which is a little bit different. We have government services, which are all some departments and agencies within the state of Indiana. And then we have local government. And then they added uh, businesses for an 11th sector that we used on the scorecard. The whole idea is encourage voluntary participation by people to use the scorecard who may not have any cyber expertise. If you look at the 2016 um, census survey for the state of Indiana, 83% of establishments, you know, small businesses, uh, local governments, um, were 19 or less employees. So you can probably guess a lot of them don't have a cybersecurity expert that they pay, okay? They're trying to practice medicine, they're trying to run garages, they're trying to run grocery stores, but they may not have a cybersecurity expert. So she wanted to get input from those folks. To do that, we had to make the scorecard non-threatening, understandable, educate people, so hopefully they can start figuring out if they can do it, what they can do easily for themselves, and self-correct a lot of things on their own. This way the taxpayer doesn't have to do it for them. Even if that was feasible, it probably wouldn't work. People have to do some of this stuff on their own. And then provide quantifiable measure, because the whole idea is to start measure, you know, benchmarking how the state is doing now, and then come back and see if different resources and deliverables that are provided to these organizations actually makes things better or worse. Now, there's certain assumptions that we made. One is we want the scorecard in the ideal situation to actually accelerate the effective and efficient actions to outpace the growth of cyber threats. You know, so ideally if it works, instead of seeing these numbers of attacks and successful breaches increase, we would see them turn around. I have high aspirations. That's not easy to do. Um, when you design a scorecard for today, what you need a year from now may be totally different because the threats are going to change. They're not going to stay still. So the scorecard needs to be adaptable. Um, we assume that folks in Indiana are smart enough to know that cybersecurity is a problem, so we don't need to kind of make them self-aware of what's going on there. Um, and it's important that we make the information that they gain from the scorecard actionable. I mean, to tell someone the sky is falling doesn't help, okay? To tell them what they can do to avoid getting hit by rocks from the sky, now nah, that's a different story. And that as we go forward, because in a moment we're going to talk about the pilot, that we're not going to get 100% participation. And so we need to be able to take into consideration the statistical sampling required to get good information. Now, when you do something like this, which I would call a knowledge management operation based on what I did on the military, you don't want to waste people's time and money and political will. Okay? So if you put them through all this work to fill out a survey, 
wouldn't it be disappointing if the findings are so vague that no one can do anything, okay? Or that they've come up with some brilliant problem, but it's, there's not enough money in the world to fix it, okay? So we have to focus on things that we can fix, if not today, in the future. And then when we find there's a problem that we can fix, that we collect enough detail that we can fix it quickly. Because to find out there's a problem of a certain type that we can solve, but maybe it only applies to half of the population, it would be nice quickly to know where that half is so you don't bother people who don't have the problem. That's one example of being specific. So there's no lack of scorecards. There's several of them out there. I'll let you read the list. Um, we looked at several. Uh, we got some from the National Governors Association. Wisconsin had one, for example. Um, and it was basically uh, very detailed. So the, the problem you run into with some of these scorecards is you really have to be an expert to do it. But if a lot of your small uh, organizations don't have cybersecurity experts, what good does it do you if only 17%, let's say medium or large organizations in the state, can fill out the scorecard? Or okay, maybe we'll get some from the small organizations and maybe we'll get up to 30% or more. But it doesn't cover the majority of the individuals that we're worried about having cybersecurity attacks. And you go, well, why, why do you care? Well, based on the Verizon 2018 report, 58% of the successful cybersecurity breaches were against small organizations. And oh, by the way, they define small as 1,000. So they probably have covered the organizations that are 19 or less that we have in Indiana. So one of the things you discover as, you, as, if we, as we went through all those different scorecards that are out there already is that most of them use what's called the National Institute of Standards and Technology Cybersecurity Framework for their basis. There was one that was not. But most of them use it. So we said, you know, we probably should leverage what's there. Now this framework was, came about as a result of an executive order signed by President Obama. He told the Federal Trade Commission, we need to provide people standards of what right looks like in terms of cybersecurity. So they turned to NIST. NIST gathered around 3,000 cybersecurity experts and said, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Let's see what's out there already. Let's see what standards are there, and let's see what best practices are, and what's come out with a framework that applies across most, if not everyone. So that's where this framework came from. They said there's five basic things you have to worry about in cybersecurity. You need to be able to identify what you're trying to protect and protect from. You need to be able to protect it. Then if the protection doesn't work, you need to know when it happens, so you need to be able to detect it. And then you need to be able to respond to that and then recover, and as part of recovery, patch things up so the same thing can't happen to you again. Then from there, they broke those five functions into categories with more detail, and then those functions have subfunctions, which provide even more detail to each category. I, said, I should have said subcategories that provide more detail to each category. And then those have the standards that we spoke about earlier that are mostly there already from different standards organizations. And these standards describe the desirable outcomes, okay? So we said, okay, we should probably use the NIST cybersecurity stand, uh, framework because if you're a large organization, you're probably complying with it anyhow, okay? Because you can hire the cybersecurity experts and you want to make sure that you're safe and tight. Um, and also, even, even the, the state submits a uh, form of a uh, NIST cybersecurity framework report because the MSISAC, Multi-State Information Sharing Analysis Center, every year on behalf of the Department of Homeland Security, puts out what's called 
the National Cybersecurity Review. And it basically asks the states, tribes, and territories, and some local governments questions based on the NIST framework. I mean, you can kind of like read the NIST framework and you see the review and you go, oh, wow, it's the same. This report every other year is used to report to Congress the state of cybersecurity in the nation. So, why not use the NIST framework so when you have to do your, you know, national cybersecurity review, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Why not use the NIST cybersecurity framework so if you're a large corporation, you've already gathered that information, you just plug in the information for the scorecard. And oh, by the way, if you're a small company that has never seen the NIST cybersecurity framework, why not give them a scorecard that when they have to do it for other reasons, they can already comply because it's pretty much a standard across government and industry. Now, on your left is an example page of the National Cybersecurity Review that MSISAC puts out to states, tribes, territories, and local governments. If you read the questions, it's just like on a NIST cybersecurity framework. And as the slide says, it's really good, but to fill it out is very expensive, okay? And it gives you a lot of detail, and it's difficult, all right? But it's really good, it's impactful. The other spectrum you can go to is something like what Governor Holcomb filled out to kind of get a snapshot of how the state of Indiana is doing relative to its peers. And it's, it's nice. I mean, it gives you a good kind of feel. You can see where you're really solid with the greens, and then you look at the stoplight chart and go yellow, not so good. Fortunately, he doesn't have any reds there. But it doesn't give you a lot of specific information if you can come back to work and say, okay, guys, we need to fix these problems, okay? So where's the sweet spot on this continuum, okay? If only a minority of your people can fill this out, where do you find a sweet spot so a lot of these people that could fill this out but couldn't fill this out can actually provide information that you can take action on? That was the problem we were trying to solve for the state cybersecurity scorecard. Are you guys tracking me? Does this all make sense? Yes. Okay, do you find this helpful? Good, and you look awake? Okay, I'm very happy. I used to sit on that side for around three years, so I know exactly how this goes. <laughs> Pardon me? Oh, wow. Okay, well, I'll try to cover something you haven't seen, <laughs> although I doubt it'll be possible. Okay, all right. So, how did we sort this out? So, fortunately, we were bailed out by um, Professor Connie Justice, who is in uh, the cybersecurity on IUPUI. She's affiliated with Sirius. And she said to the team, said, well, what exactly do we need to tell the Indiana Executive Council on Cybersecurity? And I said, Connie? I said, I don't think they really know. <laughs> They just know we need to figure something out. And she said, well, why don't you use the Department of Defense's focus areas for their scorecard? So we went to it, and it was published like December 2016. This is a list of what they discovered from ugly events. This was a list that they developed based on breaches that they suffered, investigations they had to conduct, and inspections that they had to do. And what the list basically is addressing is basic blocking and tackling. Because what they said after they did their studies is that, you know, most of the stuff we're suffering from is because the basic things are not being attended to. All right, so there you go. Improving authentication, you know, more two-factor authentication, biometrics, okay. Hardening the systems. I mean, I was on active duty through 2013. We still had systems that operate on Windows NT, okay. So making sure those systems are either upgraded to new operating systems, they have the appropriate patches. Making sure that 
if something is open to the internet by default, that it's and it doesn't need to be, it's closed, and if it is open to the it has to be open to the internet, that it's properly configured. <clears throat> and then picking up the game on detection and then responding to an attack. So what you can see a lot is this preventative. And we said, okay, let's take these four items, let's bump them against the um, cybersecurity framework, and then let's see how much we can reduce the questions. Now there had an, there's another piece of guidance that we got from Chatrice Mosley that I didn't make a slide on, but basically she says, use me as a guinea pig, okay? <laughs> Even though I'm the cybersecurity program director, I used to be an office manager. I know how they think. And a lot of these scorecards are just going to be handed to like the head nurse in a medical practice or the paralegal in a legal office. So let me be your kind of like your guinea pig, and it's got to be understandable for, for me. And she said, try to keep it down to 20 questions. And we said, okay. So what we did is we said, okay, if we take a look at, for example, and this is going to be difficult for you to read, so I'll have to talk it through. If we take a look at ensuring strong authentication, what are the things in the cybersecurity framework that we don't need, okay? And so those are the items in pink. So the ones you see in pink are subcategories. The one in yellow happens to be the ones that applies to only specific sectors. And we went through all four of those focus areas against all five of the function areas and the 22 categories and the 58 subcategories. And we distilled a list down. And we got it to about 17 different categories, okay? And, if, and when, we, when we reshuffle the deck and we put them in the identify, protect, detect, respond, recover, this is what our list shortened down to. And we said, okay, this is good. We have shortened the list. We fit Chatrice's target of 20. What we'll do is we'll base the questions on the categories. Okay, the categories are the ones just under the, uh, the functions. So these are your categories. So we got it down to about 17. And Chatrice says, well, we need to make sure that people can read it. So you might want to consider this sometime if you have to write to a general audience. But there's a site, used to be called Readability.io. I think it's got a different name now. And when we bounced what we had in NIST language, we got an E for readability. <laughs> it basically said we had to have at least a college degree to understand it. Now, I'm not saying the people who are going to fill this out don't have a college degree, but it may not be technical, okay? So at that point, we told Chatrice, hey, I've been dipped into stuff way too long. I can't make this into normal English in your lifetime. So fortunately, she turned to her. Um, uh, strategic Resources Committee composed of cybersecurity experts, bankers, academicians, other business leaders, and said, okay, let's make this readable for someone who runs a grocery store, someone who runs a medical practice. So questions like, do you properly manage your login and authentication changed to, do you make sure your logins are treated the same way as you make sure that only people that are authorized to go through certain locked doors and certain filing cabinets is done? so that they could understand and relate to what that question was asking in a technical side. After they were done, those cells that you see in green were the original NIST categories. The ones in blue are how they equate to the cybersecurity questions. Okay, this is the top half, and then this is the bottom half of that list. And we ended up with about 22 questions. We had one category that was important enough, we had to ask the question in three different chunks to make it understandable. A lot of them are one-to-one -one relation. 
And so you can kind of see that in this chart. You can see that first question required three separate scorecard questions, and really only other two questions required two scorecard questions. Then when we ran the test, we got a B. So this was good, okay? This, this required about 11th grade education from high school. This is where we wanted to go. So we said, okay, to make this measurable, I apologize for all these eye charts, guys. I'm just trying to cram a lot of details in there. <laughs> but uh, but um, what we did, these, these top two are just basically name, email address, okay? The next three are numerical. How many employees do you have? How many are IT employees? How many are um, cybersecurity you know, cyber personnel? The next two questions, yes or no. Do you outsource IT? Do you outsource cybersecurity? And the rest are Likert scale questions from one to five. So we can provide some measurability. So think about it now. If we ask a question here and, and, and we say, do you, are you familiar with the cybersecurity threats or risks? And it goes on. You can go zero, I don't know, to I strongly agree or disagree. So now on a scale of one to five, with I don't know being zero. And here on the bottom, these questions down here, we talk about do you do this frequently or do you hardly do it at all, if ever? So we had Likert scale questions of one to five for both of those type of questions. That provides us the quantifiable information. So if someone says, I don't know about Internet of Things, then you know that's an area that they don't really feel comfortable with, okay? That says, okay, it looks like there's some vulnerabilities here. Now, please bear in mind, as we walked into this, we knew that we were going to ask people to self-assess. So what happens when people self-assess? There might be... Inflation score, yeah! <laughs> a nicer way of saying lying, okay? We understand that. And we did have one Mary Poppins score. Does anyone know what I mean? So on the first Mary Poppins, not the latest version, she comes out with this measuring tape and she measures herself and she says she's perfect in every way. Okay. <laughs> she measures the kids and they come out not quite as perfect, but yeah. So there was, there was only one out of the, uh, the different respondents to the scorecard. Only one um, Mary Poppins score. So anyhow, um, so what we did is we loaded us into Qualtrics. And, uh, and it, we made it possible for people to respond to the scorecard either on the computer or on a phone. Now, when you do something like this, before you go into what I call production, you send it out to you know, tens if not hundreds of thousands of Indiana businesses and governments, you really want to make sure it all works. Does it really measure what it's supposed to? Does Qualtrics work the way it does? Is it too painful to get the data and analyze it? So the, cyber, the, uh, the council decided, okay, let's do a pilot. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the 11 different sectors. We're going to ask them each to provide a volunteer of one large organization, two medium, and three small. So six each for a total of 66. Now bear in mind that small, large, and medium is relative to the sector, even if you go to the Small Business Administration. The Small Business Administration would say a manufacturing small business is 1,000 employees. Now it may say that some of the agricultural sectors is smaller than 1,000. So we didn't want to play that game. We just kind of let them say, okay, you tell us who's large, who's small, who's medium, and we'll, we'll, we'll love you whatever you tell us. Then the whole idea is that with the scorecard, we can then identify the vulnerabilities that people self-assess, and then the state can say, okay, what educational material, what resources and deliverables can we provide these organizations that are part of this pilot? Then we'll take the scorecard again in March of 2019, and we'll see if it made a difference. So that was, that was the goal for the pilot. 
for 66 organizations, six within each of the sectors. So we did the work in the background, okay, how do we take this information out of Qualtrics? How do we do the data coding, which is basically remove the errors, I'll give you an example in a second. And then how do we load it into SPSS for uh, statistical analysis, and if we need to, for fancy graphs, how do we put it in Excel? We documented it because what's going to happen is I will hopefully graduate this month, actually December. And when I do, someone else may pick this job up, and I need to make sure that when they do the comparison, it's going to be apples to apples. So you guys know the drill. Now, this is a log of the data coding that we did. So those top two lines were basically out of the 60 participants, we couldn't use their scorecards because they weren't complete. So we had to throw them out, okay? Out of the bottom two, what happened is we had two individuals for two different organizations, actually, yeah, so basically, we got more than one scorecard for an organization. So we, we let them tell us, okay, which, one's the, which one should we use? So we dropped two more participants, so we ended up with 56. Now, all these log changes here basically happened because we let people write in how many employees they had. And you know, sometimes if they're being honest, they'll say, we have 20, approximately 20,000. You know, it could be 20,002 this minute, five hours from now it could be 19,098, okay. So, they, so we said, okay, fine, we'll take out the little approximate sign and we'll just say 20,000. And then we had some other strange numbers. So we had to make some data coding. And so that we learned from that, we're gonna make the, the next employee question that you, you check a block in terms of you either have like one to 19, you know, 20 to 50 or something like that. So when it was all said and done, out of 60 participating organizations that submitted scorecards, we had 56. And what you're looking at here is what the participation was across sectors. Now, just like in the previous slide, you didn't see me name the organizations. And on this slide, you won't see me name the sectors. And the reason we did this is because we wanted to feel comfortable to be very candid with the information. Because as you probably know, sometimes if you expose your vulnerabilities, you can get sued later. All right, so, and there was one sector that <laughs> I was told that whenever they had the meeting with the government, their attorneys were always present. I mean, that's how hyper they are. It was a regulated, it was a regulated industry. So we, we wanted to still get the information. So we said, okay, we'll provide anonymity. So that's why you, you can see what the sectors are on the top, but I'm not gonna tell you how they did in terms of participation. What are some of the sectors blue and some of them are like grayish? Oh, you're a great straight person, okay. The green ones are, it's supposed to be green and blue, probably can't, the screen sometimes is hard to see. But the green ones are government organizations, of which there are five, you know, government sectors, and then the blue ones are private industry. So basically you can see the participation on part of the government sector was like 87% and for industry was what, 83? Yeah, so a little bit better participation in government. Also, you can see that from the um, sizes, we got a lot of participation from small, which was kind of cool. Someone asked me, well, how can you have more than 100%? Well, it's because some sectors, instead of just giving us six organizations, they gave us nine, okay, or eight. And that was more than they needed to, but we took the information anyhow. Because we had some sectors that only gave us two or three responses, okay. So we wanted to see what we could get, and you kind of see here what the level of participation was. So we had actually only two organizations that gave exactly what they were asked for, one large, two medium, three small. So now, how do the questions rank by score? All right, so this is, this is another eye chart. So I'm gonna kind of blow up the top five and the bottom two. And what we did is we ranked them from low to high. So basically, and this is by score. So the score is the dependent variable. In this case, it's by the question. 
So those means that you see there is the mean score that was calculated from all the respondents on those questions and with the lowest on the very top. So <clears throat> what that tells you, if you could read the question, so I'll read it for you in case it's hard to see, is question 22 has the lowest score with a mean of 3.09, and it says, our smart devices such as security cameras, thermostats, HVAC alarm systems, etc., are periodically monitored and scanned for security vulnerabilities and malicious software. So when they score themselves low, that says, hmm, we're not so sure. Now, that's informative, but again, remember, these might not be technical experts. So if you notice to the beginning of the question, there's the letters DE.CM. And those are basically the initials for this, the framework function and category. So DE is detect, <clears throat> and CM is continuous monitoring. So this is what helps someone who's taken the scorecard say, okay, if this is an area I'm really worried about, where can I find actionable information? Where can I find the desirable outcomes? Where can I find the standards? Now, if you're a big organization, you may say, oh, yeah, I got a guy who can do that. Okay. If you're a small organization, says, you know, I maybe need to call the professionals. I can't do this by myself. All right. But at least we're giving him actionable information. So we can take a look at by the score where most people feel there's vulnerabilities. That tells the state, hey, we need to take a look at what we can do in terms of providing education on the Internet of Things. Maybe getting people who are really good at it, willing to come out and state who they are and provide advice. And also maybe there's some resourcing we need to do in terms of funding or changing laws to make sure that those areas are, are addressed. Now, when I, I say the thing about resourcing and deliverables, the state gets very nervous because we're a very frugal state and they want to encourage as much self-help as possible. But, you know, you have to see what's there and decide what's the best course of action. Maybe self-help, maybe governmental help. Now, does the things that large, medium, and small companies worry about differ, okay? This chart says they do, okay? We took a look at the ranking of the scores by different organization size. So on your far left is the large organizations. On the middle are the medium ones, and on the right are the small ones. The color coding, not, not this purple one, but the kind of green, the, uh, the kind of gray, those are questions that are similar in the different sectors. So for example, you can see large organizations on your far left and small organizations on your far right all have this Internet of Things on the top of their mind as a worry. Medium-sized organization is the second item on their worry list. All right, and then there's also like on the orange, you can see that all three sectors worry about it, but with different levels of concern. Okay, now again, this is their bottom five, so it's probably, they're all worried about them. <clears throat> but you can see the way the sectors look at things is a little bit different. <clears throat> I'm sorry, the sizes of the organizations. The same thing applies to sectors. Now, there's 11 different sectors, so I really can't kind of like lay this whole thing out and make it even worse eye chart than all the other ones I've shown you. So I picked the one with the, the best scores and the one with the, the, the worst scores. I believe the A sector was the one with the worst scores and the sector E was the one with the best scores. <coughs> and you can see, I had to go down to like the sixth, the sixth item to actually find at least two things in which they agree on. So we learned from the previous slide that the size of organizations affects what they worry about and we seen from this slide that the sectors they in affects what they worry about. Now, we said, okay, let's take a look and see how much of a different 
in scores size makes. As you can see, the small organizations had the lowest score, and then the large ones, the next lowest or medium, the medium range, and then the medium, the medium ones, the best scores. Is this really statistically significant? Don't know. So we did analysis of, of, of variables using SPSS, and if we look at that top uh, table on the left, it says the significance is 0.169. Read that as the p-factor, okay? So you want that p-factor to be 0.05 so that you have a power of 0.80 and have the ability to say, yeah, those numbers are real differences, but it's not. So we said, okay, let's go to SAS and run a power procedure and figure out what we need in terms of minimum sample size <clears throat> for each group. And in this case, I think the number is 53. So we need to have 53 large, 53 medium, 53 small organizations to say for sure when we see those differences, they really are statistically significant. <clears throat> we did the same thing for scores by, rank, uh, by sectors. So you can see at the top we have the A sector that has the lowest score, the E sector has the highest score. Are these really significant? The answer once again is no, okay? The p-factor is still high, it's 0.159 versus 0.050. And so the number of samples we'd have to have is six. So, you know, I, that was a pretty good guess. But when the six per sector was chosen, it was really based on relationships, how many volunteers we can get. It wasn't based on statistical uh, sampling plans. IT outsourcing, okay, looks like uh, organizations that outsource their IT, feel their, their cybersecurity is less than those that insource it. Okay, is this statistically significant? The answer is no. <laughs> okay, and that's the trend on all of these. How many samples would they need to determine if it's statistically significant is 92 for those people that insource and outsource. And then the same applies to outsourcing cybersecurity. Um, not enough samples, and we would need about 62 of those to really find out if those numbers are statistically significant. So let's go back to our research questions. <clears throat> One, how are we doing time-wise? Okay, not bad. All right, is it possible to develop a cybersecurity scorecard based on identifying vulnerabilities and threats and provide effective and actionable information for public and private organizations in the state of Indiana, regardless of size or cyber expertise? Okay, and the second question was, can we detect the nuances between large organizations, small, medium, as well as the different sectors? Okay, so question to answer number one. Yeah, probably. Scorecard probably does work. Um, we did get a response of 85%, which was, may not happen when we go to production and we send stuff out you know, to tens of thousands of organizations, but we did get a pretty good participation rate, even from small organizations, which was very exciting for us. And then because we have identified for those different vulnerabilities, the NIST cybersecurity framework category <coughs> and um, I'm sorry, functioning category, they can then take a look at desirable outcomes and start solving their problems if they have the ability to do so or, or seek help. Next question. Can the scorecard discern nuances between large, medium, small and different sectors? And the answer is Probably, but we won't know for sure until we have significantly or statistically significant sample sizes. And then it may say, no, there's really not a difference. Or it may say, the difference is this, but then we can believe it. At the point of samples that we have now, the answer is we don't have enough data. 
or enough samples. So <clears throat> my, the rec one of my recommendations is, as I mentioned earlier, the threat's going to change. So when they finish doing the pilot, where they compare before treatment, which is what we've collected now, and post-treatment, which will occur after they provide resources and deliverables, and they adjust the scorecard based on what they learned, because they're also going to ask the pilot group, was this scorecard any good? And then based on feedback, they're going to update it. But they also need to make sure that they update it for emerging threats, not for what occurred this year, because then you're fighting the last war. You're preparing to fight the last war, which is not a good strategy to employ. So what, is, what, what came out of this? Well, it helps increase cybersecurity awareness if it wasn't out there already. It helps organization benchmark where they are. In fact, in the cybersecurity scorecard, we actually invite people to take the report and share it with their bosses, because that sometimes doesn't happen at the right levels. Um, helps us identify if there's any differences between sectors and, and sizes in terms of what their needs for cybersecurity might be. Um, identifies where to potentially invest in cybersecurity if the state needs to do that. And then hopefully nudge a shift from people who take the scorecard to be proactive versus reactive in terms of their cybersecurity and enables us, ideally, okay, to accelerate progress toward improving cybersecurity. We designed a system so that it was um, <clears throat> flexible, so as the threats change, we can adapt to it. And uh, this is acknowledgments to the state of Indiana. It isn't, would not have been possible without all their support. <clears throat> there was the, the scorecard that we have was one of the 69 deliverables, of which only 30% were complete. This was complete. It's now on the Indiana uh, Cybersecurity Strategic Plan. You can go to the website, you can look it up. Um, and so um, it, it, it's been kind of fun to work on a real-world, real-time uh, problem. Um, if you're interested in looking at the scorecard, you can take a photograph of that with your iPhone, and that QR code will take you to the, to the website. All right, we have four minutes, if you want to take that long. Any questions? Yes, sir. So what is like your plan with like say an organization like they give it to like the CEO of an organization this is like a small organization and just like I have like they outsource or just have one IT person like I have no idea what they do I just pretty much let them do free reign like what's the plan for like accounting for those sorts of things since you really couldn't get a good measure from that Um I mean the the organization has two choices okay one is they can either try to understand what the scorecard is asking, or they can simply turn it to their outsource organizations that fill this out for us mm -hmm. and explain to us what it means. Because we want to make sure when we submit this on behalf of our organization and we're responsible for it, that we understand what it means and we agree with what you're telling us. Okay, and that, that's how they would do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, any other questions? All right. Thank you, Jim. Thank you.